Welcome to Unique Visitors, conversations about digital marketing. I'm your host, Mike Kurtz. Let's get to it. Joining me today is Tyler Back. Tyler is the President and Chief Executive Officer at Mitosis, an international award-winning marketing creative agency, as well as co-founder and acting CEO of Meiosis, a data agnostic SaaS marketing automation company determined to transform marketing technology and analytics. That's, that's saying a lot. It's a mouthful. <laughs> so I saw your TEDx bio and it says that Tyler Back is one of those wild-eyed, mile-a-minute, soul-on-a-sleeve individuals you'll never forget meeting. I think that describes you pretty well. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And it it also says that, uh, the bio says, you're determined to shake up everyone in the the digital landscape. Why are you trying to shake everybody up? Uh, Why not? Shake it up for the shake of shaking it up, right? (laughs) Everybody everybody is looking to create some type of disruption regardless of what industry you're in, right? So uh, Moore's Law, as we've seen, has taken over and uh, the bell curve is crazier than ever. So... Everybody's looking for disruption. Everybody's looking for that next best thing. And the bleeding edge is now what happens today. There is no more bleeding edge. It's about the now. Got it. So we're recording this in late May 2020. And the COVID crisis has had a dramatic impact on all kinds of businesses. What are you seeing from your clients? Uh, what we're seeing from our clients from a, a total standpoint. So I'll back it up. You know, mitosis is primarily focused on uh working with clients that are in the B2B space, uh, but more even more specifically in the data data analytics, business services kind of side of things, right? So a lot of our clients are selling either software products or physical products or some types of type of business solution, right? Okay. So um, not only have we been affected by the whole COVID thing that has happened during this time period, but also our clients have gone through this as well, right? Not only the whole physical to virtualization of the workforce, but also how do you now market to this virtualized workforce, right? Right. So the typical B2B digital marketing tactics of doing IP tracking of headquarters, you know, and marketing directly to them is no longer effective. They're not there. Nobody's there. They're not there. And And there's no guarantee that they're even on their VPN right? When they're home. So you don't even know if they're going to see that display ad. You don't even know if they're going to see that paid media that you've targeted and done that IP tracking on. And then more importantly, even as consumers, we've all experienced this. How many COVID emails do we get on a daily basis, right? Everybody wants to be our friend. Everybody wants to be here for us. Everybody wants to be alone together. Um, So even email marketing has become a huge challenge in the fact that we're up against so much noise, there's so much noise that's hitting our inbox and you're also at home now as a, as a worker and you're dealing with, you know, the dog, the kids, your personal email, trying to do your Instacart order, trying to do all of these things while also still maintaining your job and then also having to uh, suck up to the fact and realize like, okay, you're actually going to have to be on webcam now, right? That's, <laughs> that's something that a lot right. of businesses just haven't been used to. Um, which speaking of webcams has caused a huge issue in our industry as a whole as companies try to virtualize these events. And, you know, we feel it as a business, as marketers and advertising and ourselves, but we most certainly understand where our clients are coming from when they're coming to us, you know, almost hands thrown up in the air of what do we do? And I know you did a lot of, uh, you've done a lot for your clients of like the event-based experience um, marketing. So 
yeah, how, how are you advising your clients to connect uh, with their with their customers? So there's a couple different, you know, strategies that we've kind of just like come right out of the gate with as recommendations to clients. And we've really addressed it as like the low hanging fruit, right? So how do we bring an event online in a meaningful way that again is going to encourage somebody who's sitting at home to give up in some instances, four to six hours of their day consuming some type of content. Um, and so what we've learned and what we're recommending is don't just immediately jump to a WebEx, right? Somebody's not going to sit on a WebEx for four hours listening to three sales guys do their pitches over and over and over again. Right. So we always strongly recommend there has to be an element of interactivity. May that be a, a chat, may that be a Q&A process, may that be ongoing polls, whatever that is. So there's some type of feedback loop there for that event experience, regardless of what platform you're in. Yeah. Two is actually high quality video, right? So although yes, we all are getting very used to this Zoom quality culture, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's mundane. Um, and gets very tiring to watch for a long period of time and engage with. Um, and then we've actually trying to get people to register for these events. We are using a really cool service and I won't say what it is, but it's this really cool SaaS service that essentially is an extension of um, DoorDash that when somebody registers for an event, they also get to go ahead and order what they want for lunch. So <laughs> the day of that event, Let's say it's scheduled at 1 p.m. At 12.30, DoorDash is knocking on their door, delivering them their lunch. Again, just like this physical reminder of, hey, you had this event that you registered for at one o'clock. Can you please go to it? We just yeah. bought you lunch. <laughs> so I think there's still an element of, of, of physicality that we can do there. But on the other side, what that also does is it gives us a little bit of a big brother aspect. So we're able to fill that gap that I just talked about of we don't know where these people are. If we send them lunch, we now know where you are. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we can now do your reverse IP tracking and send personalization to you. So it really becomes a broader strategy around still making these events valuable, personable, and something that people want to attend. Now, on the other hand, I think it's going to really change what happens with these physical events when they do reopen in late 2021 or early 2022, because realistically that's the timeline we're looking at from a physical convention standpoint. I think it's gonna change shape. I think a lot of these organizations are gonna have a lot of pent up energy. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot of our really fun um, and innovative events and staging partners using this time to really innovate and develop new technologies, new projection technologies, new holographic technologies. So I think when we do get back to physical events, they're going to be unlike what we've been used to in the past, That's right? Because again, the challenge is gonna be, all of these organizations are gonna be launching their events again. What's going to entice these attendees to now physically go somewhere when they had been doing them virtually? Yeah. So when you're working with clients, where do you start? How do you determine what is the, gonna be the best strategy for them? Every client is a little bit different, right? So like I said, we deal with a lot of big uh, international B2B clients. Um, and sometimes it really depends on what is their internal structure, right? We have some clients where their marketing team is a, you know, a 1200 person global marketing team. 
right. down to um, you know more local technology companies in like Detroit, where they have maybe a two or three man marketing team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say one of our qualifiers before taking on any client is they must have at least a full-time marketer. Okay. We don't want to be in the business of constantly translating and educating these CEOs or these entrepreneurs. Instead, they need to have their own translator. <laughs> and okay. that's why we kind of treat, like if it's just one marketer, we treat them as the translator. They speak our language and then they speak to their, to their management and to their boss and to their side of house. Okay. But then, like I said, we, we always dive into what is the business challenge? And that business challenge could be, um, you know, they're driving for an outcome of generating more venture capital interest, right? So they're at stage two of startup, they're looking for stage three, they need to generate more VC, right? What's their next step to do that down to, hey, we need to generate, you know, $600 million in revenue on this product this year. Okay, well then show us the product, right? Let's look at the product first and then let's uh, dive deep into that. And then let's also start talking about your business and how, okay, if we were to get some great marketing out to market, can you support the influx of new business we're gonna bring to you? Mm. That's, that's the question number two. Are you really ready for us to open the floodgates? Are your processes set up? Do you have a CRM in place? How are you gonna handle that? What is your response time? Because all of that is going to feed into the brand loyalty that we're creating, right? And so it's not just, hey, you put some great marketing out there. It's about that full customer experience from top to bottom, their buyer's journey all the way through that first touch, you know, where they got their first email and they just learned about this product or just learned about this business, all the way through, you know, closing that deal. It has to be a cohesive and excellent customer experience. So we also go down that path of, are you guys ready? I'm sure any digital market, or I'm sorry, any advertising agency that's successful today is is thinking about digital marketing as well. But you guys are kind of, you're kind of looking at that side of it first. So you're not really trying to make things that are pretty as much as uh, as much as you're trying to get the, uh, you know, work with the data and and uh, I guess really just get ROI. On the drive those business outcomes. <laughs> that is what it is all about. They're not going to come back to us. We're not going to gain, you know, that client's going to be a one and done project. If we don't generate ROI, we are, you know, we started in 2015. We're now in 2020. We celebrated our five year anniversary in February of this year. Um, every client that we have had or picked up along the way is still with us. We have not lost a client. We have not been fired. We have not been, it's, it's everybody has stuck with us every step of the way. And I'm sure it's different with every company, but in general, what kinds of digital marketing initiatives have you seen to be most effective? So it's really dependent upon industry and it's really, when I'm saying industry, I mean the target industry for our clients, right? So our clients pretty much fall within three categories of industries, but then they're servicing products from automotive to retail, to healthcare, to manufacturing, to all of the subsets that fall within that. Um, and it really you know, depends on the industry how you wanna communicate with them, right? Manufacturing is a very much more old school, traditional type industry in the way that they're consuming and consuming marketing and the way that they're making buying decisions. Makes sense. Retail is very much more aggressive. Right. They're surprised and shocked and awed by, 
you know, the really weird personalization things that they do, right, that we do to get to them. So we have one tactic like in retail that we've used multiple times where, okay, if we know that specific target, we go out and we do research across their Instagram, their Twitter, we scrape all this stuff, and then we essentially do a sentiment analysis into what are they interested in? Um, and then we send them a surprise package that they didn't even know was coming, but it's all items that they love, that they personally love, right? If they're into teas, you know, we go out and we find the most curated, hard to find artisanal tea, beautifully package that and send it to them. Um, so there's, it's not always about digital in the traditional sense of, I think when people think digital, they think display ads, email, SEO, social media, you know, that's just one piece of it. Those are broadcast mediums, right? Mm -hmm. Digital marketing really comes to life when you're using data to inform those marketing decisions or those marketing tactics that you're taking. Um, so that's really what marketing for us has really turned into is personalization more than anything, um, especially when you're marketing a very complex, you know, software product you know, it itself is not pretty. So we gotta get to the guy that doesn't care if it looks pretty, but it works and it does the job. Yeah. So we gotta figure out who he is, what he's interested in and how to really sell to him because it's sometimes very challenging. And some of your clients are selling, you know, software systems that are very costly. So you can take a different approach than a lot of the B2C companies or even some of the B2B that are selling smaller priced items where you're targeting uh, and you were talking a lot, little bit about this before I started recording that, uh, so you, you can take some different approach to target specific people who, you know, are decision makers. Yeah. We're not selling, you know, we're not trying to sell quantity. So we're not trying to sell a, a $39.99 product to millions of people. We're trying to sell million dollar products to a hundred people. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a very much different approach in, in how we approach things. So yeah, for us, it's very much about spending as much time as we possibly can developing who that customer persona is. And more importantly, who are those individuals under that persona to make it as detailed and as personal as we possibly can. Um, and so like some of our persona developments that we do, um, again, I'm going to lean back on traditional marketing tactics. You know, in a traditional marketing world, especially if you're doing a a one-to-many type of approach, right, which is selling that $39.99 product to millions of people, um, you know, that persona will be, you know, one page. You know, there might be 26 bullet points on it, but there might be three of them, right? They'll have a male, a female, uh, a millennial type age group, and then a 45 and up kind of age group, a very much a Nielsen type categorization approach. Right. When we develop a persona or a customer persona for our clients, you know, one persona, maybe 12 pages. Wow. Right. There's that many variables that go into it, but we dive really, really, really deep. So it's not just like, Hey, they like to buy jeans, but what brands of jeans do they like to buy at what cut? And then what shoe do they put that with? You know, what <laughs> kind of car do they drive? Is it electric or is it gas? Well, even if it's gas, you know, what kind of class of car is it going to be in? So and then how does that help you reach them? How does that help you communicate with them? The more you can put yourself as a marketer in the shoes of your audience, the more you can understand them, the better your marketing reach to them is going to be. Because again, it's about that data that's informing every step 
along the way. And that persona development is just one small, tiny, minute piece of that overall data set to get to selling that product to them. Are there tools that you like uh, for tracking or, you know, any stage of the process? Yeah, I mean, it really it really depends. I mean, you know, a lot of people still, um, to be blunt, shit on Google Analytics, um, but Google Analytics gives you a really good uh, baseline indication of where things need to be. Um, we oftentimes, we don't inject our tools into our customers' products, I mean, into our customers' ecosystems, because again, we're dealing with publicly traded enterprises. They already have all the data. Uh-huh. It's just getting it out of it, right? So we're not going to ask them to do GA. Instead, we're getting deep level analytics out of their their demand based systems, their Marketo systems, their Salesforce systems. Um, you know, which puts us in a very different position for most agencies. You know, we're constantly being concerned and audited around data compliance and PII and data governance, and you know, we carry ridiculous amounts of bonds and insurance and all that kind of stuff for all of that, having access to all of that data uh-huh. um, and the legal requirements that go around that. Um, but we, we do a lot of analysis then here with various number of tools. Um, we've built a proprietary tool that does some sentiment analysis for us, for ourselves, for those downloaded data sets. Because again, a lot of the tools that are publicly available for advertisers and marketers we can't go upload this PII data into. I can't put our customer search data into Alexa. Not allowed, right? Alexa's owned by Amazon. Amazon's a competitor of many of our clients. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not doable. So we've built a lot of proprietary products or have built um, or purchased uh, a lot of perpetual licenses on products that we then load into our own data center um, here that we can then run analysis across those. So it's not like the easiest answer, but for, I mean, most marketers and most agencies, I would say, if you're not using Alexa, uh, at least from a digital marketing standpoint, you're missing out. Um, Another top secret tool that a lot of marketers forget about or don't realize exists is moat.com. So M-O-A-T.com. So moat.com allows you to run an easy search across any brand that's, that's placing digital ads on the internet and see all of their display ads they have in market that are actively in market. Um, So it's a really quick way to do a competitive analysis of what else is happening in the marketplace. Um, So it's also really good to see what else is coming because sometimes you get a little sneak peek because again, Google ad networks um, and demand base, those ads are already floating around on the internet before they're activated. So Moat Moat may may be able to give you a little bit of insight into what is about to come tomorrow that they're about to launch in market that the advertiser already pushed up um, and is just sitting out there on the the ad servers. Are there common mistakes you see businesses making in the digital marketing area? You know, probably not your clients, but (laughs) other companies. Yeah, I mean, everybody makes mistakes, right? So the goal is to fail as quickly as possible. Um, If you're going to fail, you want to fail fast. Um, Sometimes that failure to fail fast is really expensive, but it's a really good learning. Um, So that's one of the biggest mistakes I see is uh, a lot of businesses and a lot of advertisers holding on to one tactic just too long, Mm -hmm. right? You can't be afraid to cut that tactic off. Okay, it's not working move on. Don't try to keep feeding the beast and thinking, okay, we can get this to work. We can get this to work. We can get this to work. Cut it, move on to something else or change your approach or change your something, you know, change something 
um, a very scientific approach, right? You, you, have your, you have your control and then you have your tests, right? So you have all these tests out there. If it, if it starts to fail, cut it off. Um, so that's one thing I see is a lot of clients hold on to stuff way too long. Another so it's important issue, to watch it and, and look at the analytics and see what's working and what's not. Yeah, and I mean, for a business, choose an agency that is constantly monitoring this stuff, yeah. right? So we don't just monitor stuff once a day, right? We actually have TVs, display walls, up in our office that are seeing the real-time analytics coming off of these ads, right? Because it's, it's a constant, for our clients, it's a constant and global thing, right? We even, are, when we're doing email marketing, We'll send an email out, change one of our dashboards on our TV to see how quickly we're getting those open rates. What is the deliverability? What is, you know, you wanna look at all of that. And on email marketing, again, don't hold on to one template. Don't hold on to one tactic too much and don't be afraid to test. Um, even the SurveyMonkey type, uh, SurveyMonkey and MailChimp type products that are out there, don't be afraid to test. All of those products that are consumer available or prosumer available allow you to A-B test, right? And one of the easiest things to test in an email is subject lines. Okay, if you're sending an email out to a thousand customers or a thousand prospects, split them into, split them into quadrants. Send them four different subject lines. See which one performs better. What was the open rate? What was the click-through rate? Um, the other big failure we see a lot with marketers as a whole, this ha you'll even see this in the consumer space, is too many call to actions in an email. Mm -hmm. um, too many call to actions on a homepage of a website, right? So one of the key questions we always ask our clients when we're moving down through these strategies is, okay, you want an email. Okay, great. That's a great strategy. Okay, it's a drip campaign. Great. What is that one thing you want that customer to do when they read that email? That one thing, not the five things, that one thing, right? So what is that one action you want them to take? So you see this a lot with businesses. They, they think their blogs are important. They think this is, they think I'm cupping news is important, all this stuff. So they have a marketing yeah. message at the top and then like links to like eight blogs at the bottom. Yeah. Nobody's clicking on those blogs. <laughs> Give yeah. the user one thing to do. Um, another fun thing that's actually really good right now in subject lines is the use of emojis. So the use of emojis in a subject line increases your open rate about 40% um, on average. So, you know, test with emojis. Don't be afraid, don't be scared to use them. Um, even the most stodgy B2B old school organizations are putting emojis in subject lines. Huh. Um, and then also do your research, again on email, do your research and stay up to date with what are the common email providers changing to? So like right now, Gmail just um, changed about six months ago they started limiting the pixel length of emails. So although you may have the most beautifully designed HTML email at a certain pixel mark, they just cut it off and just truncate your email. It just disappears. Wow. So those six blogs you had way down at your bottom, <laughs> Google just doesn't even display to the user. It just like, it doesn't even exist. Huh. So just always be conscious of that as you move through, uh, you know, all those various steps. Yeah. And then uh, be social on social media. That's what I always tell people, be social. It's called social media. It's not a broadcast medium. It needs to be monitored. It needs to be engaged with. It's called social media. Be social. Got it. So how do you stay up to date on the industry? Do you have any resources that you recommend? Google Alerts. So if you're not using Google Alerts, <laughs> um, use simple. Google Alerts. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, 
the topics and things that you guys that you that you as marketers should follow, set them up in Google Alerts, set up your own custom news feeds. Um, use a, some type of news aggregator, whether that's whether that's Flipbook on an iPad or whatever that is. You know, set up some really good trusted resources for yourself um, and read them. Actually, engage with them. Don't just read the headline. Read, read the deeper the deeper article, um, and then read industry magazines, and read the indi- read and subscribe to the industry magazines of your customers. Right. So if you have a manufacturing yeah. customer that's in a rapid prototyping space, subscribe to every rapid prototyping magazine there is and then actually read it um, yeah. and, and stay engaged because your success as a marketer and as an agency is really understanding the industries and businesses of your clients. Right. So the more trends that you know that's going on in your customer's industry, the more informed and educated you are going to be about your tactics and let alone the, uh, the great follow-up conversations that you can have with your clients. So oftentimes it can be a project initiation. You know, you see a new trend coming up. Why not pick up your phone and call that client and be like, hey, I see that this is starting to happen in your guys' industry. Maybe we should talk about that. Have you guys thought about that? Is it on your business plan? Is it on your pipeline? You know, have you thought about how you guys are going to address this as a business? Do you have one tip that's kind of a best tip for digital marketers? If you're a B2B marketer, do not be scared of Facebook. Please do not be scared of Facebook. You know, everybody's on Facebook, especially a lot of our, our decision makers um, in these industries. So the Facebook is primarily a 35 and up audience. They're in positions of power at these businesses. So don't be afraid of Facebook. And, you know, they're constantly on it. It's on their phone. They're getting notifications about it. It's, it's a really good ad platform, to be honest with you. It gives you really good analytics. Um, allows you to do some really good targeting. Um, and then as a follow-up to that, uh, marketers should be leery of LinkedIn. Um, be careful. Uh, be very careful about how you place your ads. Make sure that they're super targeted because they are one of the most expensive ad platforms. Okay. Um, but they are also one of the most influential in the B2B space. Yeah, so, so you're, you're not saying avoid it. You're saying be just careful, be careful because it's expensive. Yeah, just be careful. I mean, you want to make sure that you're getting that ROI on that $5 click. Gotcha. Okay, so I mean, just be targeted, be super, mo- be super mindful um, about what you're placing on LinkedIn and how you're placing ads on LinkedIn. But other than that, I mean, Facebook's a really good one because consumers are consumers. Don't be scared of it. Got it. If people want to find you and your company, where can they find you? You can find us on mitosiscreative.com. Um, you can also find us on mitosiscreative on Instagram. Um, that's primarily where you see a lot of the more cool behind the scenes stuff that we're, we're kind of working on or uh, a lot of our travels. We travel a lot to various shows and physical installations of things. So um, Instagram's a really good place to see us. And uh, Mitosis Creative is a great place to kind of go get the background of who we are and, um, you know, how to get a hold of us. Awesome. Thanks, Tyler, for joining me today. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. And thank you for listening to the Unique Visitor Podcast. Let me know if you have any feedback. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Kurtz. See you next time.